You're listening to The Way Home with Daniel Darling, a proud member of the Venom Audio Network. Well, hello and welcome everyone to The Way Home Podcast. I'm so glad you're joining me today. Uh, We are excited about what God is doing uh, through The Way Home. Uh, I hear uh, quite a few folks uh, giving me uh, great feedback on a particular guest that blessed them. Uh, when I'm uh, out and about traveling, I have some of you run up to me and tell me you like this conversation or that conversation. And I've enjoyed all the emails and, and feedback uh, I've received through uh, danieldarling.com, the contact page there. Keep those coming. Those are always so encouraging. If you have a guest you'd like to recommend, I'd love to hear your ideas as well. Doesn't mean we'll be able to uh, take up all those suggestions, but I'd love to hear your ideas and recommendations. Um, if you liked a particular episode, would you go to iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play or however you get podcasts and rate and review uh, the podcast? I'm going to have more information in uh, a few episodes in the future on uh, some of my new book projects that you can get a hold of and we're heading into uh the holiday season so we'll be talking a little bit more about characters of christmas uh as uh, folks get ready uh, for christmas but it's a little too early to talk about christmas so we're not gonna do that just yet today i have a great guest on someone who has been on the show a number of times one of my favorite people really in the world uh tim challies uh tim is a uh prolific writer that's the best way to describe him I actually like to tell people that he invented the uh, Christian internet because Tim was one of the very first people to blog. And he has been blogging every day regularly for the past couple decades with really, really good content. Uh, Tim is a theologian. He's a pastor. Um, He uh, writes really good content uh, on theology and church life. Uh, discernment, helping us review books, whether they're really good, whether they're helpful, whether they're not helpful. Um, When I was sort of coming of age, when I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life and and think through some things like that, Tim was a really helpful resource and guide, and he's become uh, a good friend over the years. Uh, He has a new book out, which is why I wanted to have him on the show. Uh, it's a unique book. It's called Knowing and Enjoying God. And what he's done with this, which I love, if you follow Tim's blog, he will periodically um, put out these really great quotes uh, on beautiful uh, artistic backgrounds, uh, quotes about the nature of God, about prayer, about all kinds of things. And now he's publishing a series of, of kind of like coffee table books, devotional type books that uh, have these great quotes uh, with some beautiful um, uh, design with them from folks like uh, J.I. Packer, C.S. Lewis. The first one is called Knowing and Enjoying God. And these are all just quotes about the nature of who God is. Uh, I don't know about you. I love quotes from uh, good people about uh, about God, about his word. And so this, this is just another really great resource that can help you with your devotional life. Tim is a very creative uh, person. He's got several different kinds of books. Um, he's done a whole series called visual theology, where you're sort of, um, putting visually, uh, some of the very, uh, deep and important concepts of Christian theology. Um, he's done a really cool church history, 
uh, visual church history, both book and, and film. Uh, so many really, really neat things. Uh, you can go to his website, challies.com, and check those out. But I'm not going to continue to talk about Tim. We're going to get to our conversation with my good friend, Tim Challies. Glad to have back on the podcast, my my friend uh, Tim Challies. Tim, thanks for joining me today. I appreciate it. I'm glad to. Thanks for having me. So, Tim, uh, the reason I wanted to have you on is you have this great new resource called uh, Knowing and Enjoying God, uh, which is a, just a beautiful kind of devotional resource, kind of a unique book idea that I just really love. But before we uh, get into that, I just want to I, I do want to talk a little bit about writing. I know uh, I tell people that you're the you're the godfather of the internet, basically. That that you were right there with Al Gore when the internet was invented. Is that? Can you confirm or deny that? <laughs> sure. Yeah, Al and I mapped the whole thing out, and it's gone just according to plan. It's it's as it's as wondrous and as perfect and as uh, as everything we we hoped it would be. Yes, um, I do feel like so you so you have been writing every day for how many years? Uh, maybe seventeen or something. Now, to be clear, not writing every day. I've been posting something you, to the blog some, every day. You've had new content. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, every day. for. To be clear, years. I do take some time off. Right, right. When you first started writing and blogging, obviously, you, you couldn't predict of kind of how the digital age has unfolded. But did you have any idea just kind of the, first of all, the impact of your own writing and ministry? you know, what God would, would birth through that, but also kind of how it would really dramatically shift and change even the church in many ways. No, I think like so many new things, it was just something fun to experiment with, really. Um, you have to remember that when blogging began, there was no Twitter, there was no Facebook, nobody had heard of social media. It was a very different world back then. Mm-hmm. And blogging was the first of the means through which the the little people could have a voice or one of the first mm-hmm. means in which people without gatekeepers, without um, being part of big organizations could have a voice that could even be equal or greater than in some cases. So we were just really exploring it and having fun with it back in the day. And if there was social media, it tended to be relationships between bloggers and then between the bloggers and their commenters using the commenting function that's largely gone by the by. So it was a totally different world. And um, no, I don't think anybody had any idea that it would really grow into something and then really kind of be superseded by new forms of of media, um, like the microblogging, Twitter type stuff, podcasting and so on. Yeah. It almost seems like and maybe someone has done this and I've missed it. Someone should write a history of the internet because there's different like chapters, right? You have the blogging age, then you have the social media age. I actually feel like we're headed into another age with a kind of rise of podcasts and newsletters. So, you know, we're almost going more toward long form. It almost seems, and correct me if I'm wrong, that the, the rise of newsletters is almost almost a recovery of that kind of era of blogging where people, again, are both – you know, I think of people escaping the kind of confines of the traditional organizations, right? You think of these journalists who don't like all the drama, say, at the New York Times, so they start their own newsletter and they actually do better and are more resourceful uh, on the one hand. But also, it's an, also another way, another way to kind of to escape the kind of whatever it is that Twitter is. So it seems like we're almost going 
Are we going back to that era of blogging in a sense, or what do you think? Yeah, I think it's circling back to where it began in some ways, which is people gaining a voice and then blasting it out to others. Um, I think there was a hope for a time there that email would be replaced by something else. And hence, newsletters weren't that attractive because people didn't want their inboxes to continue to be Mm -hmm. filled. But over time, we've gotten better at filtering our inboxes. And so newsletters can have some prominence again. We don't mind them now that anti-spam protections are are so good. You think about the old days of, of email, maybe 12 or 15 years ago, when you would have spam coming in all day, every day, we'd just be inundated with it. And so much has happened now that spam is quite rare that it, it leaks through Gmail or something else. So that means the messages that do get through tend to be a little bit more valuable and newsletters are among those. And it does seem like people are self-selecting in terms of this is the content I want, right? Um, and in some ways, I feel like the newsletter phenomena is almost replicating what you've been doing for 17 years is that you have a dedicated audience. You produce really good, meaningful content to that audience. Um, and that it, it seems like that's kind of what the newsletter phenomena is, is people are kind of cultivating their own version of that. Yeah. Now, I think the problem that existed in the blogosphere is still going to exist in newsletters, which is they're very hard to monetize. And people will only be um, so altruistic for so long before they want to start getting paid for their work. And um, podcasting, vodcasting, whatever you want to call it, you know, video on YouTube um, or elsewhere, blogging. Um, newsletters, none of these things have a really strong path to monetization until you hit that that certain number of people where now you can call the shots a little bit more. And so the struggle will continue that people will be creating content and doing it with great diligence and with great skill, but seeing very meager return on that investment of all their time and expertise. And so I think that's people may be quick to jump out of newsletters when the next thing comes along simply because they'll hope that they might be able to monetize it a little more. Yeah, I think so. And I I also think that it's interesting the way that all these forums kind of work together. So I look at what you've been able to do. You know, you're you're writing really good, meaningful, I wouldn't say long form, but longish form content, right? Uh that is really rich and theologically rich, but you've also been able to to create other forms of media based on that audience, right? You're you're creating books, you're publishing, you're doing all all sorts of things. Um, so it does seem like there's a hunger in this age for kind of a multiple forms of media, and multi, you know, particularly among Christians. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think one of the, the struggles with things like podcasting and newsletters, these new forms, is there's I can only subscribe to so many newsletters at mm-hmm. ten bucks a month. I might do two or three, but I'm not going to be spending hundreds of dollars a month on on newsletters. And so until there's a mechanism by which I can subscribe to a bunch of them with one fee, and that gets distributed amongst the creators, uh, I think that and premium um, podcasts and all the rest will still um, have a tough time really making go of it, especially in a Christian market where the audience is relatively small. If you're Joe Rogan or Jordan Peterson, you've got this massive audience you can draw from, um, you're going to do much better. But for people with a relatively limited audience, a little subsection of the Christian world, it's always going to be a fight to to be able to um, to, to make a go of it beyond just yeah. being a small hobby. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, it's almost like streaming where it's getting to the place where can I just, you know, 
subscribe to one thing that bundles them together, which is kind of what cable was. So that's kind of funny. <laughs> it's um, a funny thing, isn't it? We're spending more on streaming services than we ever did on right. cable in a lot of yeah. cases because we're subscribing to so many of them. Someone's going to to hack that newsletter market, though, with a product that allows you to get a bunch of newsletters, but also is good for the newsletter writer in that it brings in audiences that and revenue that they might not have had separately. I, 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 someone's going to do that. I don't know where that leads, but I, I could see that. Right. And then the other thing that's going to come into play is how long will Christians or other people who are saying things that are controversial be allowed to continue to use those platforms before they get hoofed off. And so there's already intense pressure on the distributors to not allow, not permit that kind of content. And uh, so are, are you, are you nervous about that? I mean, I, I'm nervous about that, that pressure as well, because I feel like um, there's such a push against kind of what people call misinformation or a push against people classify as hate speech. You know, you think of the pressure right now that's being put on Substack to not host a divergent divergence of views. Now, so far they've, they've said, we don't care. This is our model, whatever. But you wonder if, you know, how it works where you get some employees there that's, you know, go on strike and they get mad. And, you know, I do think there's just enough libertarians, you know, in the tech world, that it will prevent that, but it does make me nervous. I mean, I, I, you know, that how long will, you know, most of our ministries and most of our content is platform dependent, right? Like we, we need YouTube, we need Vimeo, we need Substack, we need, you know, even go further back, you need the, the ISPs and you need the hosting services. You know, you, I don't know that you can create Christian or conservative, whatever versions of all that even going back. So does that kind of make you nervous? The, the threat of big tech a little bit? Yeah, to, to some degree. And it's um, behind big tech is big money, if you will. And so um, you might have seen that recently, a, a site that does subscriptions where um, people can become fans of somebody and watch their content on this site. It quickly got taken over by pornographic content. And that site announced we're going to no longer permit pornographic content because the payment processors don't like it. They're very nervous about it. And so Visa won't work with us or MasterCard won't work with us. So that's the other part of the system. Even if Substack is saying, hey, we don't mind. We're allowing some wild views to be sent out. And often those are the most um, th those are the ones that make the most money. Jordan Peterson on Patreon was, I think, their, one of their number one guys. And yet... Um, they weren't willing to let him have his voice or there was that controversy. Um, but even if Substack says they're okay, what happens if the payment processors come along and say, no, we're not going to support this. And so there's many, many cogs in this wheel and many ways in which um, the ability to communicate as we're doing now can be pulled away. And I don't think Christians can successfully create parallel versions of all this stuff. Now, you can do hate speech and still get electricity into your home. The the local electric company doesn't cut you off because you're a bigot. So maybe things like internet access, the actual copper wires, et cetera, will continue to come to you. But there's definitely going to be consequences over time if society keeps going the way it's going and Christians keep saying what they believe. That seems increasingly clear. And not just Christians, but also just people who are coming at it from a conservative worldview. You think about Abigail Schreier or somebody who's talking about transgenderism from just a very normal, level-headed perspective, um, she's as likely to be cut off as, as you or I. Yeah. I think it's it's going to be an interesting tension because at the same time, the Christian market is still so big. 
So I think that's one thing Facebook is thinking, wrestling with. Like, Mark seems a little bit more libertarian, although he'll crack down on stuff that is ridiculous too. But then he's also thinking, a lot of my revenue comes from this this audience. And I wonder if all of them are thinking. So that, that's going to be an interesting thing to watch as, as it goes forward. And But I share your concern uh, as, as well, that it's it's definitely something to be thinking about. Yeah, and I don't want to be all doom and gloom about it. Um, I think we can fall into these patterns of thinking where we sort of predict all that's going to unfold and kind of go three or four steps down the road before any of it's happened. And who knows, none of us would have predicted the rise of Substack at a time when everybody was trying to get rid of emails. And now suddenly here's the email newsletter as the next big thing. Um, so we can't predict these things. Who knows um, what's going to happen other than the Lord. But um, I think it's definitely wise to pay attention to these things and to be aware of some of the, the struggles that may be coming. Hello, friends. I just want to tell you about a really new partnership uh, that we have developed with an amazing company called Canopy. Now, I don't know about you, but as a parent, I find it increasingly difficult to monitor my children's internet consumption with all the devices and computers. And how do you balance safety on the internet in terms of objectionable content, pornography, and things that we don't want them to see with speed and use of the internet for things that they need, like their homework, getting a hold of them. My oldest one is driving and I want to be able to her to have a way to get a hold of me. How do you do that? Well, sometimes it feels like you have to prioritize either speed and accuracy and accessibility or safety. Well, my friends at Canopy have developed this really neat tool that they beta tested in Israel, and it's so good, they brought it over to the United States, and it uses this proprietary technology uh, using artificial intelligence to block objectionable images, but not always necessarily websites. And so how this works is that even on your their phones, if someone texts them something objectionable, or they're going to a website that they need to go to, but there's objectionable images, it doesn't block the website, but it'll block the, the images from coming through, and it works in uh, multiple apps that are on their phone in ways that a lot of other filters don't. It's a great, great tool. And if you are a Way Home listener, you can go to canopy.us slash way home. That's canopy.us slash way home. C-A-N-O-P-Y dot U-S slash way home. And you can get a special discount. Your first 30 days free and 20% off of Canopy for life. So you want to do that. Go to canopy.us slash way home and check this out. It's a great tool that I know you will use and, and be thankful for as a parent. I want to pivot a little bit just to the way the internet has affected the church. I think it's been both a, a net positive, but also a net negative. You know, it's a net positive in the sense that I'm sitting here talking to Tim Challies. I mean, I've been following your work for uh, a long time. You've helped me think through a lot of things. You've exposed me to really, really good resources, you know, as I was kind of coming of age. I think of you, I think of the Gospel Coalition, I think of so many ministries that have been so formative for me. And on the other hand, it's also, you know, been a source of division in the church, right? You you see, see this happening a lot where people are getting kind of radicalized in their political opinions, left and right, and it's causing a lot of division and a lot of Christian organizations and churches. So I don't know, I guess give give me your perspective on kind of where we are on that in terms of the, with the church and what, uh, there's obviously some really concerning ways in which the internet hurts church unity and, and other things. 
So I think when technology causes a problem or technology displays a problem amongst human beings, uh, we tend to think that technology can solve that problem. And so Twitter, you can think about something like that, um, how it, it it's built right into Twitter is quick communications, quick bursts of speech thrown back and forth in, with all haste. You can see very quickly how that would counter a lot of Christian virtues. Um, we tend to think that when there's a technological issue, we should have a technological problem. But most of these issues will be solved by godly character. And so the main thing we need to be doing as Christians is not fussing about technology as much as we fuss about our character. And are we really becoming like Christ? Are we living out the Beatitudes? Are we displaying the fruit of the Spirit? Are we living the Proverbs or James kind of, of life before the Lord and before one another? So, um, yeah, definitely the Internet has brought out the worst of us in very many ways. But the problem was never the Internet. The problem is us. We're the ones who are sinful. We're the ones who allow ourselves to be taken advantage of by the technology or who allow ourselves to use it unwisely and um, unhelpfully. Yeah, that's good. And your book, and I remember reading it when it came out, it came out in uh, 2011. It was so prescient and so ahead of its time. We, your book, The Next Story, talking about living virtuously in a digital world. You know, a lot of the work you've done in terms of your books have been really interesting and innovative. You know, I think of your visual theology books uh, where you're you're taking some really important theological concepts and trying to map them out visually for folks. And then I think of uh, your work Epic where you kind of went around the world uh, talking about some really important moments and uh, places in Christian history. It seems like that's kind of like creatively, that's, those are the things you're trying to do to, you know, what are some creative ways to really explain deep uh, theological concepts uh, for the church? Yeah, no, I love, uh, I love exercising that kind of creativity. I love trying to really what I've been doing for a lot of years is kind of keeping an eye on what's just, maybe happening in the non-Christian marketplace and just seeing are the things we can bring over into the Christian place that just haven't been explored yet, or um, maybe are just the, 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 the nobody's gotten around to, to figuring it out yet. And so um, I think there've been quite a lot of round the world journeys, but I thought, Hey, nobody's done one for Christian history yet. So I could, uh, I could do that or visual theology. There's a great rise of, infographics online. And so I thought, hey, I don't think anybody's really been trying to present theology visually. So what would it look like? Um, and it's quite a challenge since most um, most infographics deal with quality or um, quantitative data. We were trying to deal with qualitative data, um, which is much, much harder to do. But I think we had some success there. So yeah, I love trying to just explore new ideas and um, yeah, to see what I what what value I can add to the Christian world, what maybe would be a little bit different from what people have seen before. Yeah, and I think the visual stuff is just really helpful. I just <laughs> I just interviewed Patrick Schreiner and his his great uh, the visual word with the outlines of New Testament books. I think stuff like this and stuff like you're doing it's really helpful for us to kind of see mapped. And Kevin DeYoung has done a few things like that too to kind of map what we're reading on paper. You know, for, for especially for a visual age, uh, is really really cool. Yeah. Yeah, and if you go back to the Old Testament and you look at um, the worship of God's people, it was very visual. Um, you think about the tabernacle, how many different elements there were that the people were meant to look at 
and to understand something about God. So there's a reason that there were cherubim woven all around the um, the tabernacle and why they were carved right into the temple. Um, you're supposed to look at those and understand that something is true. You're supposed to see the smoke rising from the altar. You're supposed to see the candles burning, the lamps burning, all of this. And that was all supposed to visually teach you something. So I think we sort of backed away from that as as Christians, perhaps out of just fear of some of what was some of what came out of the Reformation, you know, um, pre-Reformation times where everything was visual, there wasn't enough teaching, but maybe we've overcorrected a little bit in some ways, not necessarily in worship, but in, in other ways. Yeah. And I, I think too, of the idea of stained glass, right? If you tour these churches as you've done, you know, for us, for us right now, stained glass kind of seems almost like a, um, exorbitant luxury in a church, but we forget that for many people who experience that, were illiterate, right? They didn't have, they couldn't read. And so the only way for them to really understand the Bible would be to see it kind of visualized. Um, and and I still think it's it's really powerful uh, in this age. So I, I love the work that you've you've done on that. Let's talk about this this book you have now called uh, Knowing and Enjoying God, Words from the Wise. It's a, it's a really uh, unique and, and cool uh, devotional uh, guide. Uh, maybe speak a little bit about what kind of motivated you to create this and uh, what what you hope to uh, people who read it get out of it? Yeah. So I'm an avid collector of quotes. I just love to find good, punchy quotes. And I think Christians of a bygone era were especially good at taking, they would explain things at length and then distill it down to a quote. So people like Matthew Henry were just fantastic at that. J.C. Ryle, others go long and then go short and give people that quote. And so I've always found a lot of value in quotes and collecting them and pondering them. Um, often been thought about John Piper's uh, famous little thing where he said, books don't change people, paragraphs do, sometimes sentences. And absolutely, sometimes if you read an entire book and you get one good sentence, one good quote out of it, that can change your life. And so, yeah, I've been collecting quotes for a time. Um, we've talked about the internet. We've talked about the value of visuals. Well, one of the things I did was start creating graphics where I would just overlay those quotes on something appropriate, some appropriate picture or image or background using a designer to do that. And uh, Jules Goldblum and I created well over a thousand of those kind of quotes and got to thinking, wonder if we could actually take this to the printed book rather than just to Instagram and combine it with some little devotionals. And so we chose a theme, which was the means of grace. And um, we just started to find uh, graphics that would sort of teach or quotes and then overlay them on graphics that would teach a sort of systematic approach to what the means of grace are and uh, how God would have us uh, use them, build habits mm. around them. Yeah, it's a really it's a really beautiful book that I would encourage folks to get. It's called Knowing and Enjoying God, Words from the Wise. It's uh, We'll have links to this in the show notes. It's out in September, so you should be able to get it. Uh, or at least pre-order. But by the time this posts, it'll probably be uh, already out in the marketplace. But uh, I encourage you folks to get it. You know, it's just a great thing to accompany your uh, devotions or just to have in, in your home uh, to share that way. The last questions I want to ask you before we, we're done, Tim, is um, just I know a lot of people listen who are writers. And I know you I love the way that you're very uh, intentional about your work and your writing, and you've written many blog posts over the years about kind of some of the tools you use and some of your process, which we can't repeat all that here. It would take uh, hours, right? But if you could distill down for 
for writers or people who are listening, kind of what your process is for creating so much content, you know, uh, what, you, what helps you, you know, stay in the chair and create content, uh, what, you know, what that looks like for you. Yeah. Um, you got to read a lot. If you want to create a lot, if you want to write a lot, you got to read a lot. So you got to be filling yourself up so you can pour out. And the other thing is you got to be out in creation a lot. I think you've got to be taking in that as well, just taking in beauty and then trying to express beauty, express truth through your words. Um, a couple of things writers should never skimp out on uh, if they have the ability is buy a good chair, buy a good keyboard, and buy a good monitor, and then buy good writing tools. Um, if you're going to spend a lot of time in your chair and you're going to spend a lot of time tapping on a keyboard, make sure you've got good ones that will, that will help you along. Um, I think we tend to cheap out on our tools when really the tools are the means through which we, we can do our work. And if we're really, if we really believe God has called us to that work, then why not get the best tools? If you go to your doctor, you're hoping he didn't pick up his scalpels down at the dollar store but that he bought some high quality ones right. and he's going to do, uh, he's going to cut precisely and well. So I uh, get some good tools. And then I think it's a lot of it is just identifying the times you're at your best. And I know not everybody has that ability depending on, on their life circumstances. But most of us have high points and low points in the day uh, where we're energetic and creative. Other times where we're down and just not so energetic, not so creative. So I think trying to identify those times and then trying to do your best writing or set aside time for writing in those moments. Um, again, not always possible. If you've got young children around, your mom, you're trying to write. Um, your kids probably won't be uh, very cooperative in that way. But trying to find where you can probably get a whole lot more done in a few minutes of your peak time than in several hours of your non-peak time. So really just trying to find that time and use it well. And then developing your own writing style, trying to express yourself beautifully, not just purely functionally. I think there's way too much very functional writing in the Christian world rather than writing that really shows skill and shows beauty. Mm, that's that's a lot of advice packed into a, a short thing. Uh, <laughs> I appreciate that. Speaking of punchy quotes. That was, that was really helpful. Tim Challies, I want to just thank you uh, for your work and for the ministry that you have uh, that all of us are blessed from uh, and have been blessed with for over the years. I want to encourage you and your family. And I want to encourage folks to get this great book. Uh, it's called Knowing and Enjoying God, Words from the Wise. And check out all, uh, all of uh, Tim's resources at his blog, Challies.com. I can't imagine anyone listening doesn't know Challies.com, but if there are those people in the world that have been living under a rock and don't know Tim Challies. Now is the time to discover who he is and, and his work. So thank you, Tim. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Way Home Podcast with Daniel Darling. For more information, you can visit DanielDarling.com. If you do like this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast catcher. We also encourage you to rate and review so others can know about the podcast. You can follow me at at Dan Darling on Twitter or go to my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Daniel M. Darling. I also want to encourage you again to check out my latest book, Away With Words, and you can visit awaywithwordsbook.com. Thank you for listening again to The Way Home Podcast.
This podcast is part of the Edify Podcast Network. Edify is a faith-inspiring app that brings together thousands of the best Christian podcasts in one place for your listening enjoyment. Cut through the noise and grow your faith by diving into the world's top Christian podcasts today. Download the Edify app for free from the App Store or Google Play or by going to edify.app. That's E-D-I-F-I dot app.